may be seated. Our sermon text this morning is a familiar text, a text that we look at often during the seasons of Advent and Christmas. It is a wonderful text, a text of promise from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, those beautiful words, those words which find their fulfillment, of course, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The prophet writes, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice, with righteousness, from this time forth, forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, this Christmas morn, we gather here in this place and we rejoice at the birth of your Son, our Savior, Jesus, the Messiah. We thank you that you've brought us to this place. We thank you that we can sing familiar Christmas songs, that we can read familiar Christmas passages of Scripture. We thank you that we can hear once more the good news of your gospel given to us in your word. We pray that you would help us to not just hear your word today, but to know it intimately, to take it in, plant it in our hearts deep that it might flower into an ever-growing faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, of course, it's Christmas, and I suppose different families have different traditions when it comes to Christmas, different ways of doing things, different schedules that they follow. Uh, some, some families open presents on Christmas Eve. Uh, other families wait till Christmas morning and open presents then. Sometimes people uh, open some presents Christmas Eve and some presents Christmas morning. Sometimes, in a situation like today, perhaps there are those of us who are, are waiting till after church today and this afternoon we'll open Christmas presents. There are all kinds of different ways that different people do Christmas presents. If you haven't opened presents already, there might be all kinds of things that you're wishing for this year, that you're hoping that you might get as a gift. Back in 1999, we had a Christmas gift of sorts that we were expecting and, and, and looking forward to and longing for. Jack was supposed to be born on December 21st of that year. He came six weeks early, and so we got that gift a little early. You thought Christmas Eve was present, getting a present early. So try mid-November. 
but it was a joy to have him as a Christmas gift early. For to us, a child was born. To us, a son was given. We're reminded, of course, of those words from the prophet Isaiah where he says the very same thing. It's, it's to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. But of course, when Isaiah says that, they are words that are weighted with much more meaning, much more importance than when I say that about my own son, as much as I love him, as much as he means to our family. Even more important were those words that Isaiah said when he prophesied, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. In this case, the son was not just any son. John Calvin suggests that in the, the way the Hebrew is structured, actually, with, with the word son here, without any, any reference to who he was a son of, it is actually making reference to the fact that he is the son of God. He says that in the, the way the Hebrew is structured, it is actually pointing us to that fact that this is son of man and son of God, a child a person, a human, fully man, and yet a son of God, divine, divinity in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, God come near. Now it's amazing for us to comprehend this truth, just to, to come to this reality that, that God somehow, the infinite God, the eternal God, he who had sat upon his throne for all of eternity, who had created all things, who upheld all things, had somehow stepped out of eternity and into time and had taken on human flesh and not just the human flesh of a mighty, powerful warrior and king, but the human flesh of a little baby. It's hard for us to comprehend this truth. It's hard for us to believe this, to, to find this amazing fact to be true, but we've heard it all of our lives. We're familiar with it, and so it becomes a little easier for us. Imagine how it was for Joseph, for Mary. You know, when Joseph first learned about this, he, he could have sent Mary away. She was pregnant. and He knew he wasn't the father. He would have been within his full legal rights to do so. In fact, to be quite frank, it would have been fully understandable. It would have been perfectly reasonable. It would have actually been the only expectable thing for him to do. But he chose instead to show mercy and love I was reading an article just this week by Russell Moore. He put it this way. He says, with full legal rights to abandon Mary and her unborn child, perhaps to a fate worse than death, Joseph obeyed the father in becoming a father. In his obedience, Joseph demonstrated what his other son would later call pure and undefiled religion, the kind that cares for the fatherless and the abandoned. What love he showed. And then Mary, of course. Mary. Mary, who, who was just as surprised as Joseph was. And when the angel came to her and told her what was happening, what would 
happen? She responded, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And so here we are this morning. We stand here like Mary and Joseph with this unbelievable, this this unimaginable, this incredible news. It's amazing. Born to us is this one who is son of man and son of God. And the prophet tells us he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's look at each of these titles. Now, if you're a, a fan of Handel's Messiah, or, or perhaps just an aficionado of the King James Version of the Bible upon which it was based, then maybe these words aren't ringing quite as familiar because you note that the first two words, wonderful counselor, in the King James actually are separated by a comma. King James says, wonderful, he shall be called wonderful. Counselor. And then it goes on with the others. But I think if we, if we look at the Hebrew, I think it's, it's pretty, pretty, I don't want to say obvious because they didn't think it was so obvious when they wrote the King James Version, but, but I think it's pretty apparent that, that what we have here is four different couplets of words in the Hebrew, and, and they're to be taken as such. And that first couplet is not two separate, unrelated words, wonderful and counselor, but rather the phrase wonderful counselor, as it's been translated in many of the more recent Bible translations. And so we need to ask, what, what exactly is a counselor? What is, exactly is it that, that we should expect out of this Son of God as a counselor? And we think, especially in our day of counselors, who, who are listeners. They, they hear what we have to say. They, they are present for us to, to pour out our thoughts and, and our, our hearts and our feelings. And, and, and they receive all of this information. And Jesus certainly is one who is available for this. Jesus is available for us to pour out all things. We can can bear our souls to him in a way that we perhaps can't to other people. Oftentimes we, we want to put up a veneer in front of ourselves, don't we? We want to kind of wear a mask. We we don't want to be completely honest, completely true to who we are. There there are parts of us that we want to hide, those those little bits of ugliness or perhaps those larger bits of ugliness, those those deep, dark secrets, those things that we, we have done in our past perhaps or even those thoughts that flit through our minds even now that we, we just don't want to admit to others that they are there for fear of what they might think about us. And yet with Jesus, we can share all of this with him because he already knows. He's not surprised by any of it. No matter what you share with him, it will not change his opinion of you. You don't need to worry about how he might respond to it. You can share all of your brokenness with him. You can share all of your ugliness with him. You can share all of your sin with him. And he won't be surprised. Hebrews 4.13 tells us that no creature is hidden from his sight, 
but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And in Psalm 44, 21, we read that he knows the secrets of the heart. He knows everything about us, and yet he has chosen to love us because his love isn't conditioned upon what we do or how we behave or, or what actions we've taken or what thoughts we've had. His love is a matter of his grace. It's been said that God loves us because God loves us. That is the fact of the matter. And so you say, well, well, if God already knows these things about us, why, why do we even pour these things out to him? Why do, why do we pray? And Calvin's quite helpful again in this matter. John, John Calvin says, believers do not pray with the view of informing God about things unknown to him or of exciting him to do his duty or of urging him as though he were reluctant. On the contrary, they pray in order that they may arouse themselves to seek him, that they may exercise their faith in meditating on his promises, that they may relieve themselves from their anxieties by pouring them into his bosom, in a word that they may declare that from him alone they hope and expect, both for themselves and for others, all good things. You see, we pour out our bosoms. I love the way he said that, that we, we free ourselves, we relieve ourselves of our anxieties by pouring them out into his bosom. What a, what a gift that is to be able to do that. He is a wonderful counselor who, who makes that possible. And it's why the psalmist can say with confidence in Psalm 77, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. He will hear me. Not just saying that, that he will, will sense it in an auditory nature. Not just that, that the sound waves get to him and his ear picks it up. It's saying he will hear me. He will, he will understand. He will more than be made aware of it. He will act upon it. And this is why prayer is such a, an incredible opportunity for us. Such a wonderful gift. We come before him as our counselor and he will hear our prayers. Not because we've earned an audience. But because Christ Jesus hasn't earned an audience. Not because he is ours, but because we are his. He's not only a, a wonderful counselor because he hears, but also because he speaks. He speaks to us. He, he advises us, not just with good advice, but with the best advice. He, he gives us perfect and right and good and beneficial direction. It's not always easy. But it is always right. His word says that his word is a lamp to our feet, is a light to our path. It is wonderful, not just in the sense that it is, it is good, although that's true. It's wonderful in the sense that it's full of wonder. And nothing is more full of wonder and amazement than the gospel that Christ has died for our sins, that, that though we were unlovely, he has loved us, that though we were enemies, he has made us his children, that though we were sinners, Christ died for us. It's not just a matter of a bunch of rules in God's word. It is the promise of a new life in Christ Jesus. Let us never forget that fact. He is a wonderful counselor. He is also a mighty God, 
We have a funny relationship with might, with power, don't we? Uh, we, we? We want it. We like it. We want to have it. But, but when others have it, it's not such a good thing anymore, right? Now, we, we wish that people weren't so powerful when those people aren't us. We become very skeptical of power when it's held in the hands of others. And, and that's pretty widespread. Recently, I, I read about a story of, of a of a state legislature that, that acted to limit the power of the newly elected governor. And, and I found it interesting because, because they, they hadn't acted in that way when the governor was part of their party, but then when it was somebody from the other party, they wanted to limit the power of the governor. And you see, it, it wasn't a matter of, of a principled stance that a governor should only have so much power. It was they, they should only have so much power when they might use it in a different way than we want, right? And, and it would be normal for us to come to this, perhaps, and think in the same way, to think that this isn't a good thing when we read, in verse 7, of the increase of his government, there will be no end. I mean, that's a scary thing for many of us, to think of, of the increase of someone's government having no end, because, because that means we are at their mercy, we're at their will, and, and there's nothing we can do about it. But you see, it's actually the most wonderful thing there is. Because, because let's look a little closer and realize what the goal of this power is, what the goal of this might is, of the increase of his government and of peace. There will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore, we see that Isaiah says that he uses his power and his might to establish peace and justice and, and righteousness, and we realize that far better than holding power in our own hands is having one who, who holds all power that is a benevolent and loving and gracious and kind and merciful Father who loves us so much better is that because even on our best days with our best efforts, we can do very little, if anything at all, to bring about peace and to bring about justice and to bring about righteousness but God can and he does in the person of Christ Jesus we are completely unable to defeat sin and death but it is not so for a mighty God no matter how much good we do we inevitably fall short of the holy standard that God has set but Christ Jesus has walked in all faithfulness he has walked in all perfection and he has won the victory for us. He has not left us to wallow in the misery of our weakness. He has instead come and, and in all his power he has fulfilled all righteousness in the person of Christ Jesus. Late in time behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb veiled in flesh the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity pleased as man with man to dwell Jesus, our Emmanuel. What a wonderful thing it is. Because we are weak and he is strong, we can know as Paul did. And as he said in 2 Corinthians 12, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The victory is his. He is a mighty God Though the victory is his, he has made it ours as well. For he has defeated sin, Satan, and death. And so hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn 
king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners like you and like me, reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. With angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. He is a wonderful counselor. He is a mighty God. He is an everlasting father. You know, we, we think of the universal fatherhood of God, perhaps. And, and there is a sense in which that is right. We all are descendants of Adam, who is said to be the son of God. And, and so there is a sense in which everything emanates from creator God. And, and so in that sense, perhaps, he is the father of all creation, including us. There's a special sense in which he has made those who are his, children of his, and he is in a special way our father. He has adopted us as his sons because Jesus is the true son and our relationship with God is found in our relationship to Jesus. We are bound together with Jesus as his bride. So in just the same way as, as Aaron's parents not only sent her gifts for Christmas, but send me gifts as well. And you know what? It's not just a matter of they send her the really good gifts and then they're like, oh, well, we got to send Pete something too. No, they send me good gifts too. Just as good as the ones they send her daughter. Why? Because, because I'm part of the family. I'm, I'm their son, just like Aaron is their daughter because, because we've been married. We are brought together and, and I'm, I'm in a very real sense adopted into their family. And that is how it is with God. He loves us and he has adopted us because of our relationship with Christ. And here's the great thing. Here's the great thing. I... I, I just a few years back, lost my own father, my earthly father, passed away, and there are still to this day, and I'm sure there will be for many years to come, times that I, I want to call him up and just, just ask some advice, ask him how to do this or that. I want to share some news with him about something neat the kids have done. I just want to talk to him. And I can't do that anymore. But you know what? my everlasting, eternal Father. There's never a time, and there never will be a time, when I can't do that. Christ, by highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, prince, we sometimes think is kind of a diminutive term. It's not quite a king, but that's not the idea that's being communicated here. It's not that he's, he's less than a king. Rather, rather, it's speaking to the fact that he is a ruler. It is, it is exalting him when he says the prince of peace, and, and his rule is characterized by what? It is characterized by peace. Jesus says in John 14, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. He says, my peace is different than the world's peace. See, the world's peace is often, again, it's just this idea of, a, of, of kind of a veneer. There's this, this just idea that a cessation of hostilities, you know, we're, we're no longer punching each other in the nose. We're no longer shooting at each other. So, so that's peace. When in reality, underneath, there's still animosity and turmoil and, and hatred and turbulence 
Jesus says, my peace is not like that. There's, there's not just a cessation of outward hostilities. There is true, under-the-surface peace, lasting peace, perfect peace, things as they are meant to be, peace between God and man, and as a result, peace between us as well. This is what Jesus offers. This is what Jesus brings. He makes things right with us and God. He makes things right between his people. For no matter where we've come from and no matter what we've done, as the saying goes, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all come there with baggage, baggage that he takes away. We all come there with skeletons in our closet, skeletons that he removes. We all come there stained by sin, and he makes us clean, pure, white as snow. For he himself is our peace. He came and he preached peace to you who were far off and to you who were near. This is the promise of Christmas. This is the promise of Christ. You can trust in him today and know that your sins are forgiven. And in that, you will have received the greatest of Christmas gifts, forgiveness, redemption, and new life in Christ Jesus. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life to all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give us second birth. And because the eternal Son of God took on human flesh and, and lived a human life, we who are naturally born into this temporal world in human flesh might supernaturally be born again to eternal life if only we trust in him. He is the reason for Christmas. He alone is the reason for our joy. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we do give you all glory and praise. You are mighty God. You are the Prince of Peace. You are our everlasting Father. You are a wonderful counselor. You are so much more. Help us to understand that. Help us to know that. And help us to live our life based upon that truth. Starting right now, starting at this very moment, cause us to trust in you, to depend on you, to throw away all other things and come to the foot of the cross and bow and worship you. Son of God and Son of Man.
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.